global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we come before you in prayer to seek your counsel, your guidance, your wisdom. We do not have those things. We, we have mortality, we have weakness, we have blindness, and we just pray for um, divine aid beyond what we understand that we even need. Please forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even as we look at news and world events, Father, we know that you've prophesied in your word that these things would take place. And give us uh, an awakening that we might make decisions while time still lasts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I am Scott Ritzema for another 30-minute news broadcast. And I'm very excited about the plethora of news we have today, especially bringing in some much-needed perspective about our relationship with media. Australian News reports... Renowned British neuroscientist Baroness Susan Greenfield says modern technology is not only changing the way we interact, it is changing the wiring in our brain. In 2012, I put out a series called Media on the Brain because the research was coming in on what the effects of media are upon our brain. And I'm speaking of entertainment media, excessive social media, the use of ex- excessive use of screen-based technologies are affecting the wiring of our brain. Professor Greenfield, who is also a member of the British Parliament, says that the hyper-connectedness of today's youth gives them shorter attention spans, makes them more narcissistic, more susceptible to depression and anxiety, and less empathetic. Did you catch all of that? The more media we use, the hyper-connectedness, the more social media we use, according to renowned British neuroscientist Baroness Susan Greenfield, she says, the wiring of the brain is changing. What the research is showing is that today's youth because of these media, are having shorter attention spans, they're more narcissistic, self-centered, more susceptible to depression and anxiety, and less empathetic. She goes on and says, the mid-21st century mind might almost be infantilized, meaning turned into the mind of an infant, childish mind. Characterized by short attention spans, sensationalism, inability to empathize, and a shaky sense of identity. Now, this is what she said back in 2009. Boy, did she know what was coming down the pike. Her interest in the subject has culminated in her book, Mind Change, released in August, which she, in which she argues, quote, social media is affecting our sense of identity and our ability to empathize. And our sense of our identity, in other words, your individuality is not established in your just individual personhood as being a created child of God, but your identity is merged into the social media collective groupthink. 
By the way, they found, and obviously you know that social interaction declines the more people are just plugged into this social media matrix, that it's harder to have you know facial interaction, body language, human contact becomes more difficult, social interaction becomes more difficult. But the journal Computers and Human Behavior published a study that found that just five days, only five days of outdoor education um, for, for children and youth with no screens improved their skills with nonverbal emotional cues. And this was preteens. So 10, 11, 12 year olds. Their, their, their nonverbal emotional cues, in other words, their emotional intelligence, their social intelligence improved in five days. So if you're going, oh no, all is, 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 is lost because we've, done this to ourselves. No, it can be recovered. The Bible says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Your mind is changeable. It is plastic. It's called neuroplasticity. It, it, it alters its wiring based upon our thinking, our behavior, our diet, everything. And even the very genes of our DNA are turning on and off through epigenetic changes. And so we pass on these positive changes to our children. We actually change our very neurological and genetic expression. That is exciting. Your past, your sin, your parents, your childhood, your addictions and habits your thinking patterns, all of that can become irrelevant because God can create a new creation. The Bible uses terms like this, right? I'm going to give you a new heart and a right spirit. I'm going to take away your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. The Bible talks about when I am in Christ, I am a new creation, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me that we have the mind of Christ, that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is not just some spiritual pie-in-the-sky nice language. This is hard science. This is physical reality of our neurons becoming more conformed, transformed to be in the pattern and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's exciting. Back to the bad news, though. I mean, that gift is offered. He says, thanks be to God to gives us who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have victory over all of that, the sins, the habit, the past, the bad genetics or whatever you feel you've inherited in this life as a victim. Don't be a victim. Stop being a victim. Seek Jesus Christ. He's given you eternal life. Own it. Live it. It's joyful. But let's also realize what we're doing to our kids. She also points out, this is Baroness Susan Greenfield in her book, Mind Change, that video games are shortening attention spans and increasing our recklessness and aggression. And also, this is all research-based. She points out that search engines are making us confuse information with knowledge. Ooh, that's a good one. My people perish for lack of knowledge, God says in Hosea. So if we perish for lack of knowledge, then, well, the internet must be bringing us eternal life because there's so much knowledge there. It's the knowledge superhighway. No, it's the information superhighway. And there's a difference between information and knowledge. She's correct about this. Knowledge is to know Jesus Christ. She wouldn't say this, but knowledge means a knowledge of the one true God, a knowledge of the plan of salvation, a, a relational knowing the word, the word know in the Bible or knowledge or to know is, is about a relationship, about a deep connectedness. That knowing is eternal life. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you would know me and know my father. That's true knowledge. But what Baroness Greenfield said, 
is also legit even just on a academic level. She says, search engines are making us confuse information for knowledge. In other words, we have every factoid and information piece at our fingertips through Googling things. But do we have true knowledge? Do we have thinking skills and understanding of the the grand scope of history and understanding of, of logic and reason, critical thinking? I mean, that is way deeper than I can look up a fact on the internet. You know, when, when she talks about all these things about the infantilizing of the youth brain and the, by mid-century, like everybody's going to have infantilized brains and short attention spans. And this is very, very serious because people aren't empathizing. They, they can't feel other people's emotions as well because when it's on social media, it's just not the same. You're not face-to-face, person-to-person. You become more narcissistic. You have a shorter attention span. You have more depression, more anxiety. All of these things are really big problems on the emotional, neurological, relational level and spiritual level. But even on something as seemingly unimportant as your vision, the Vision Council released a study that in 2012, one third of Americans used digital devices for over five hours per day. A full third of Americans are on digital devices for five hours a day. That was four years ago. In 2016, 60% of Americans are on digital devices for over five hours per day. That's nearly doubling the number of people who are in the five hour or more category. Now, I want to share something with you from the New York Post about this. We read the following. With the advent of cell phones, tablets, and laptops, we're seeing people in their 20s and 30s, says Dr. Richard Norden, who is a laser eye associates specialist, we are seeing people in their 20s and 30s with eye issues that used to be exclusive to people in their 60s and 70s. Screen time is absolutely the culprit, says Dr. Richard Norden of the Ridgewood, New Jersey-based Norden Laser Eye Associates. What they used to see only in patients in their 60s and 70s, they're seeing in patients in their 20s and 30s with eye problems. It used to be an old wives' tale, he says, that staring too long at something like a page while reading would make you nearsightedness. But now that isn't the case. He's saying it's not an old wives' tale. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's not something silly. People say it's reality that when you are just staring at this tiny screen for hours, I mean, of course, it's the overuse of the ciliary muscle, which is an eye muscle that changes shape depending on whether you look at something up close or far away. So when you lock that muscle in one position for too long, what happens is you're, you're staring at a screen, you're, you're, you're even, even reading a book for hours on end, locks the ciliary muscle in place, and it becomes problematic. It, it, it prefers that position, and then all of a sudden you become nearsighted. Compounding the issue is that all screens emit blue light. Different from the white light emitted by the sun, blue light contributes to digital eye strain if looked at for a long time. So this is why it's even worse than books. I mean, books are great, but you know, reading books for hours and hours on end can be damaging to the eyes. But screens, way worse because of the blue light emitted, says Gary Morgan, optometrist for vision insurance company VSP Global. The closer the device is to your eyes, the worse the impact of the blue light is. Now, I was thinking about all of this tech stuff and the 
the group mind and the collective groupthink of the social networking herd mentality and the immersion in, in Google searching as our main source of how we view reality and interpret facts and understand the world through the mainstream media and social media and Google lenses. And I thought, this must have prophetic implications. Because when we read in Revelation 13 that the whole world wonders after the beast, well, what does the whole world wonder after today? Entertainment, social media, trendiness. So how about this one from Business Wire? New York will host the 2016 Fortune Time Global Forum. Sorry, this is New York Publishing. This is out of New York City. But in Rome, at the Vatican, the New York Stock Exchange slash Time Magazine will host the 2016 Fortune Time Global Forum on December 2 and 3 of this year said CEO Joe Ripp. Now, the unprecedented gathering will convene select global Fortune 500 CEOs, members of Times 100, top most important people in the world, nonprofit academic and religious leaders. And where are they meeting? You heard it right. Rome. All roads lead to Rome, it has been said, right? This conference, this massive two-day global conference of the most powerful and important people of the world will culminate in in an address by His Holiness, as he's called, Pope Francis. We'll be right back. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. In 1969, the U.S. Department of Education announced its intention to use the public schools as, quote, a means to achieve important social goals of a national character. Wait a minute, I thought education was about helping children's character and their academic development. Think again. It's a social engineering experiment. And much more than a mere social agenda, Bob Chase of the NEA stated in 1997 that, quote, education is the modern world's temporal religion. It's time to wake up, to come apart and be separate, saith the Lord. The DVD series is called Schooled. The deliberate agenda to reduce individuality, destroy intelligence, and re-engineer society. In Schooled, you'll hear it straight from the mouths of the founders of modern schooling themselves. They're quite proud of it. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb could Rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men And we're back. This is Scott Ritzema with 11th Hour Dispatch. And the website is 11thHourDispatch.com, where you can listen to previous broadcasts, where you can pre-order the Second Beast Rising series, DVD series that we're going to go into recording very soon and will be released by the end of the year. Very excited to share all of the vast amounts of information about global events and how that relates with Bible prophecy in a very systematic way going through the Bible prophecies. But right before the break, we were looking at this 
global event of uh, Fortune 500 CEOs, Time Magazine's top 100 most important nonprofit, academic, religious, and labor leaders. And they're going to address the need for global economic systems that will encourage that the benefits of the economy are spread out more broadly. In other words, we're talking about wealth redistribution, and it's happening in Rome. The His Holiness, as they call him in secular news publications, Pope Francis, his real name being Jorge Bergoglio, is going to be the culmination of that whole event for the most powerful CEOs and economic movers and shakers and academic, nonprofit, religious labor leaders, all of these people, top 100, top 500 CEOs, meeting together, just like you've had a, a long train of actors, entertainers, musicians, uh, Mark Zuckerberg recently, all of these people meeting with the Pope. Mark Z- Zuckerberg is the, the CEO and founder of Facebook. Um, you had Google's Tim Klein, if I remember his name correctly. All of these guys and gals and very, very important people coming before the Pope discussing the same thing. Global environmental agreements, a globally 2030 agenda style redistribution of wealth system. I think when we're looking at all of these things about technology and how social media and entertainment and and, and news media shape public opinion and how this is all going right to the doorstep of the Vatican, this has very serious significance for prophecy because the Bible says the whole world is going to wonder after a one world religious system. This is not just secular manipulation of people's thoughts and beliefs and the trends of society. This one, by the way, out of vocative relates as well to this story. The Reuters Institute for the study of journalism has released its annual news report, which finds that nearly twice as many U S citizens use social media as a weekly news source as they did in 2013. So in other words, people go to social media for their news twice as much as they did in 2013. From Of 18 to 24-year-olds, this is their main news source. It's the number... Think about that for a second. Social media, where people are totally just swayed this way and that based upon the group trends... That's the number one news source for people aged 18 to 24. Rather than searching things out deeply in multiple sources in the foreign press and the alternative media and the mainstream and seeing what the commentary is on that, getting the multiple angles, you're getting the social networking crowd view of what's going on in the world. Washington Post also reported, by the way, there's not a whole lot of deep analysis going on. You kind of post what's popular. It's about your image. That's what drives the social networking ideas. Washington Post reported, according to a new study by computer scientists at Columbia University and the French National Institute, 59% of links that are shared on social media have never actually been clicked. In other words, most people retweet and repost and share things Without ever reading it. That is embarrassing. As as a fellow human, I'm embarrassed for the fact that humankind has descended to this level. Hey, you all should read this article and, you know, watch this TED Talk or whatever. And they've never 
the person sharing it has not even read it. And the majority of millennials are getting their news from this digital vortex of lack of thought and deep analysis. Remember, there's a difference between information and knowledge. Even if you're reading on-screen information, internet information is read with a fact-collecting neurological state. Not as much like when you read a book, when you're reading deep study. Your mind is in critical thinking, making connections, deeper analysis. That's where we're going into the more serious spiritual realms of the brain, the deeper thoughts, the the connecting, the, the, the establishing values and, and ethical and moral evaluation. When you're reading online, your brain is not as much in that mode. They've done a study, this is, this is established in the research, where they find that people that read information online versus reading that exact same text in a book, reading comprehension is better when you read it in a book because you're not, you're not doing as much skimming and scanning and there's not a tab and a link and an ad right here, right? Like we do that online. So when you read on a screen, you're reading more shallowly. But even more importantly, you, you can collect facts better, the research showed, by reading online. So there's nothing inherently evil about reading on a screen. If you're looking for some data and some facts, it's a great way to find it. But then piece it together and think, think about it outside the screen box, okay? When you're reading in a book, you're thinking more deeply than you read when you read on a screen. Pretty important finding. So what's the solution to all this? Well, you heard about the five days of kids who can break free from that constant social networking. And within five days of being screen-free and phone-free, they're starting to interact and, and start to be more human, right? I was talking about that earlier. Well, how about this one? NBC New York. I'm freaking out. People cope without tech at digital detox camp. Yes, you're reading and hearing this correctly. Our daily connection with digital devices can be obsessive for many and even addicting for others. 66% of us suffer from nomophobia, which is the fear of losing your phone. No mobile phone, no mophobia, or not having access to your phone. More people are, are making time to disconnect, the article says. That's good news for those Without the willpower to do it on their own, there are retreats that structure time away from tech. More than 100 people came to a recent camp grounded in North Carolina for four days of tech-free play. Adults get to let go of some of the habitual patterns of their daily lives, like keeping track of time and schedule and being glued to their technology, explains counselor Megan Lipset. Participants say that di digital detox was, has physical and psychological benefits. We're not saying that technology is bad. I would agree with that. We're not saying that technology is bad or evil. Everything is neutral and can be a medicine or a poison. I wouldn't say everything is neutral. <laughs> there are a lot of things in life that are inherently destructive. But she's right. Technology isn't bad or evil. We got to find the balance. And for some people, just fasting from it completely is the only way to start thinking objectively about it. To say, I'm going to completely detach from all entertainment. I'm totally addicted to watching entertainment sports or People Magazine, Hollywood gossip, or every form of just vain waste of time, mind-diverting 
inheriting in, in, in eternity um, less things. Eternity less meaning these are temporal. Eternal things deserve our attention. They deserve our focus. They deserve our time commitment. For those who would spend three hours watching a football game, I hope you would spend three hours in the Bible. Actually, that would be really bad. <laughs> if we spent three hours on worldly things and only three on biblical things, that would be a concern. Think about and ask the Lord about your relationship with entertainment, your relationship with the social networking world. The social networking world can be a blessing. You can get on there and promote an event. And a thousand people hear about it and they come out to a church event. But to live there as like the virtual place where you live, the reality that you have carved out for yourself with a new image and a new persona that you've taken on and you feel so much more relational, social, you know, pleasure hits in your brain when you're on there and it's an easier, quick fix way to do something kind of fun, that's, that, that becomes unhealthy. And that digital detox camp may be just the kind of solution we need. I love going out into the woods. I love being at a camp with my family where we have no cell phone access. And we've got an excuse because we can't get back to anybody because we don't have data or we don't have a signal. We were just at a camp up in the mountains in California where there was no signal for four days or so. It was just a blessing. But various studies have found that Urban dwellers with little access to green spaces have a higher incidence of psychological problems than people living near parks and that city dwellers who visit natural environments have lower levels of stress hormones immediately afterward than people who have not recently been outside. So you want to lower your stress hormones? Answer to that, yes, of course, we all do. We want to have more peace. We want to have less stress hormones, which do physical damage to our body, and they put us in a state of mind that is not as happy. If you want to get rid of those stress hormones, if you want to calm the area of the brain where you're, where you're ruminating and mulling over negative thoughts and feelings about yourself or others, that subguinal uh, prefrontal cortex area, you want that to, to slow down? Then get outside. Go for a walk. The research shows it, chain, it changes the brain, literally. But just how a visit to a park or other green space might alter mood has been unclear until now. The possibility intrigued Gregory Bratman, a graduate student at Emmett Inter Interdisciplinary Program in Environment and Resources at Stanford University, who has been studying the psychological effects of urban living. In an earlier study published last month, he and his colleagues found that volunteers who walked briefly through a lush green portion of campus were more attentive and happier afterward than volunteers who strolled for the same amount of time near heavy traffic. But that study did not examine the neurological mechanisms that might be underlying these effects. So for the new study, which was published last week in the Proceedings of National Academy of Science, Mr. Bratman and his collaborators decided to closely scrutinize what, might, what effect a walk might have on a person's tendency to brood, to ruminate, to be thinking over negative thoughts. So they found a bunch of brooders, and they looked at their brains. And they found excessive activity in certain areas of the brain below the prefrontal cortex. And it's called the sub, subgenual. That was a new term for me. There's so many brain regions and they're finding new regions as, as we speak. But 
they found that excessive area, excessive activity in that area is associated with the mulling and the ruminating and the brooding over these negative thoughts. So they had one group of people who had these thoughts under a scan showing that activity. They had one group of people, same, same population. Half of them went out and worked, walked in a beautiful nature setting. The other half went and stood by a freeway. <laughs> they came back. Guess what? The people who were in nature, that area was calmed. They had more peace and attention. That's what God wants to give us, a peace that transcends all understanding. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. A hundred years ago nearly, cigarette companies said, we want women to smoke in America because we could sell a lot more cigarettes if women would start smoking too. So they hired Edward Bernays. Mr. Bernays, we know that you are a master of the public mind. Show us how we can get women to smoke. What he did was he hired the suffragettes. These were the women that marched for the women's right to vote. A lot of women in America looked up to them. So he takes the cigarette, gives it to the women. He told them what to do. The women are marching. At the end of the parade, they take out the cigarette. They light it, they smoke it, and they shout, Torches of Freedom! Hmm, think about this image. This is Lady Liberty. He's now associated in the public mind women smoking with the true ideals of American liberty and the women's right to vote. And women started smoking in America. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.